Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, Fantastic Blackness is a monthly podcast brought to you by me, Shante Paradigm Smalls, and me, Tavi Anyago. On our show, we explore all things black and fantastic with particular attention to how and why art and aesthetics move us in the way they do. Please listen on all platforms and join in the conversation on our social media. You can find us on Instagram and Instagram only at Fantastic Blackness. Today's theme is fantasy. So uh, I guess I'll just start and maybe by uh, asking, um, uh, saying a little bit about fantasy. So there's something about the fantasy genre that I think is particularly relevant um, to Black folks, even though um, <laughs> it was not often thought of that way, as it includes um, and venerates sort of oral traditions, myth, and folklore over or uh, included alongside technology and hard science. So what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, I think the connections between fantasy and myth um, speak directly to an Afro-diasporic uh, tradition. Um, and, you know, the irony then, of course, is that despite that really, really strong connection, some of the most, up until quite recently, some of the most well-known fantasy writers have been associated with the European tradition, right? So it's been, on the one hand, uh, really prime for like African and black uh, engagement. But at the right. same time, it's almost as if, you know, like we think of an author like Tolkien, who was one of my childhood fantasy obsessions, you know, and that was all about recovering a kind of lost sense of myth and folklore that Europe had sort of been disconnected from, but yeah. that, you know, people in the African diaspora maybe never lost. Yes. Yeah. That's, you know, that's great. That's a great answer. It's funny. You should mention Tolkien. We, um, growing up, my brother and I, we read, um, so C.S. Lewis was, uh, and, you know, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien worked together actually uh, uh, to kind of re, um, their their opuses were about reframing the biblical works into um, folklore that was readable for children and others. And so, you know, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe was like my uh, go-to, and I didn't even realized until I was a teenager, a late teenager, um, when I went to college that there was, you know, black, black fantasy. I did not understand. Yeah. I, I, um, I also didn't understand that there was black fantasy, even though I was, you know, growing up in Kenya reading Tolkien and Le Guin. <laughs> um, and, you know, I knew, you know, so on the one hand, I did know about the oral tradition and I read African folklore or learned about African folklore, you know, because stories were also passed along orally. Um, I didn't think of, you know, the idea that, that, uh, these fantasy novels could have African kind of protagonists or black storylines. Um, there wasn't a lot of space for blackness in these fantasies, you know? Mm. Uh, um, and, and I didn't have access until, um, actually it sounds like later than you actually, it wasn't in my teens. It was probably as an adult that I became more aware of authors like, uh, Nalo Hopkinson and Octavia mm-hmm. Butler, 
and now Nnedi Okorafor. It seems like yes. it's just, you know, an ever-expanding purview. Yeah, N.K. Jemison. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's it's um, what what was your experience when you um growing up with like reading Tolkien and uh, Le Guin and um, and then hearing these. You know, I also heard some uh, you know, di- di- diluted <laughs> diasporic you know Anansi stories, but Anansi and different kinds of stories passed down over hundreds of years that I didn't connect necessarily with the genre or category of fantasy, but what was your experience when you encountered Butler or, or even, um, you know, Delaney later in life mm-hmm. as an adult? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so Samuel Delaney. Yeah. Like yeah. The, yeah. Samuel um, Delaney. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so then I think the fantasy, um, the fantasy story there is the, the Nebryon series. Um, that's an interesting question, you know, like, so Delaney, I guess, I mean, you, you started asking me about like my childhood, you know, so, so I think I read Tolkien and Le Guin and these other fantasy authors. There were some others as well. Um, I'm pretty sure I read kind of the cave bear and things like, I mean, that's uh, right. right. Yeah. Um, and kind of bodice ripping, uh, fantasy, um, pre, pre, prehistorical fantasy as well, you know, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, and, um, I, 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 I obviously read that with a great deal of sort of naivete about this kind of being absorbed into this world building. Right. And it was only, you know, with Delaney, the big difference is that he really is obsessed with calling attention to the process by which myths and fantasies get made, you know? And so he's always pulling the curtain, you know, uh, from process of myth-making and calling attention to the ways in which, um, fantasy is, um, is constructed. Right. And so that I think makes it, um, you know, obviously a more kind of mature sort of, um, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a mature kind of text, uh, but also um, <clears throat> I don't know. It's a, it, 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 I think it's not it's, it's not a coincidence that he's been such a popular author amongst academics, right? Because he's yeah. good to sort of you know to deconstruct. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think I was, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about a couple of things. One that was sort of unrelated, but I was thinking about the persistence of um, some of the um, Edie's uh, films, like the persistence in the imagination of Gen X and now some, and some um, uh, older millennials of things like the never ending story. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, though that's not black, how it's certainly, uh, queer, <laughs> yeah. um, pr- yeah. proto-queer, uh, uh, Treyu, and also, um, the kind of my least probably fa- favorite fantasy, uh, Dark Crystal, I'm a heretic for saying that as someone who, uh-huh. who, love, who loves, uh, science fiction and fantasy and speculative fiction, um, the, the reboot of, of things like that. And thinking about how, um, I was just rereading, uh, uh, I'm starting to reread Watchmen, which we'll talk about a little later, uh, the, yeah. the television show, and uh, thinking about um, the different moments in the U.S. in particular, uh, and now globally since we're so connected, when um, things like comics and science fiction and fantasy have had to kind of wait. Um, they're, they're ahead of their time, <laughs> ironically, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, they're ahead of their time and thinking about how they then 
you know, um, sort of come back 20, 30, 40 years later as um, they ripen, the, you know, the, the, what they have to teach us or what they're kind of showing us and what we can take from those things kind of, kind of ripen. And so I, I wonder if that's part of what's going on with um, Black and African diaspora, particularly as you and I have talked about, the sort of Nigerian and Nigerian descended uh, authors are, are really uh, taking over. And I, I think that's really great. Um, and I wonder if it's, you know, if it's a, if it's not so much about these people are new, but that the time is ripening, we're ready for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think the time is ripening and especially when it comes to uh, readership and even viewership uh, in terms of how properties are getting adapted for TV and film. As we were prepping for this uh, uh, podcast, I remember, you know, writing one of the questions was whether or not, you know, to what extent do you think the next step for an author like, say, Butler is TV or film adaptation? Or even when you bring up the Nigerian authors, maybe, you know, maybe Nollywood is itself already, you know, like yeah. the field with sort of fantastic and um, uh, mythological elements that it's kind of already here, just not in the mainstream uh, per se. Um, yeah. And so maybe what, um, you know, a black authored fantasy is going to look like is going to look quite different um, than what we might expect in terms of, uh, um, you know, I think that, the um, the Hollywood likes it's more familiar properties that have kind of accrued the test of time and developed readerships and they like to remake and reimagine things over and over again. And I I almost feel like, you know, black fantasy is going to come out of left field um, and it's going to have, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think about something like uh, Pumzi. Um, yeah, which yeah. Is like, you know, Kenyan science fiction, um, more dystopian than than fantasy, but but still relevant here. Um, directed mm-hmm. by how do you say her last name? Um, Wanori, is it Kahu? Uh, Kahuya? Kahuya. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, uh, and then I know that she's wanting to make it a feature film um, in the future, mm-hmm. but I think that um, really is. Um, uh, a really great example. It's 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 the continent's first uh, African made. You know, not just made about. You know, not like uh, mm-hmm. I'm forgetting the, um, the 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 film that was supposed to be in South Africa with like the Nigerians as the murderous. Um, oh right, yeah. Uh, sec um, nine. You know what I'm sec- talking about, Peter. Sector, yeah. Sector. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, uh, Peter. Uh, Lord of the Rings guys uh, produced, but uh, but really this has to deal with. Um, you know, water and uh, Pumzi being a Swahili word for breath and um, and also like, you know, fascism. So I, I, it's a film that I, I watch often and I often I teach in my race, uh, gender and science fiction class. And so I think that you're right, that these things are going to come out of left field and they're going to come out of um, people being able to, uh, it's sort of, it's sort of like, um, you know, N.K. Jameson toiling all these years and seemingly coming out of left field or, uh, um, you know, children of blood and bone being a, you know, becoming a huge success or, um, you know, even the, even the return to Octavia Butler and Nalo Hopkinson, you know, Butler who's, who's deceased, but um, Hopkinson who's not sort of the re the reinterest. And I do think there is some, there's a lot of adaptation happening with Octavia Butler. So that's very interesting to, I think some TV film and 
then of course um, some graphic novels. Um, the graphic novel adaptation of Kindred and now uh, Parable of the Sower will be coming out in early um, 2020. That film you mentioned earlier, by the way, was District Nine and the, District uh, Nine. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. It was Peter Peter Jack. Yes, creators. I think yes. he was one of the people behind the, uh, the 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 token adaptations, right? Yes, um, Ad- yeah. absolutely. The director director of the uh, of the Lord of the Ring adaptations. Yeah. So one of the questions I had for you is, given all this that's that's kind of happening, that's in the pipeline, and we'll see, um, you know, how much of it you know, comes to light and, 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 and uh, what it ends up looking at. And I, I think, bring, by the way, bringing up a comic adaptation is very important, right? Because it's a different, um, a different, you know, in some ways more ended, but there's more possibilities available than with mm-hmm. the kind of, um, you can do more, I guess, right? Yes. In, in the yes. graphic, in the graphic, um, graphic novel medium than necessarily in film, although that's changing. But um, to what degree do you think that working with black authored fantasy storylines is key? You know, because I know you have a lot to say about the new Mm. adaptation of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' The Watchmen. Yeah. Well, you know, I I do think, I have a few things to say about that. So um, I, I do think I wish just authoring and directing black text with black protagonists was enough. I think those it's important to remember, you know, I think echoing what you said about Delaney, that those items are produced um, inside of a structure, particularly film, but also comics, also graphic novels. Although there is a lot of more room for independent graphic novels as we've seen with sort of milestone comics and they're coming back. And also with things like uh, the comic Black and and, um, Black AF, um, and then also the Harriet Tubman um, comic. but those structures, there's a comic. I'll say something about the film in a, in a, a second. Oh, wow. Um, there, okay. Yeah, there is a comic. Uh, it's, like, it's like Harriet Tubman, Demon, Demon Slayer. It's like a, a Buffy. Oh, kind of, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, it's, and, and it's been sold out forever. I can't, I can't find a copy, but I, I'm still searching. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times these items are produced inside a structure that often wants to see them fail if they're sort of strong and critical. Mm-hmm. And, I think, and I think that the various controversies around the Harriet film is sort of telling um, as a lot of Black people in particular are sort of somewhat connected to Eidos, to African descendants of the enslaved, are we, but also brought more broad, broadly than that, are waging a disinformation campaign around this film, um, partly because of uh, Cynthia Avo being the, um, being the uh, lead uh, uh, actress, and she has said some, you know, uh, she's a British uh, uh, actress, I think of, I think of Neg- Nigerian descent, who you know said some disparaging things about about Black uh, Americans or Black people in the U.S. Um, and I, and I think that you know it's sort of uns- resurfacing or unsurfacing some of the tensions between Black ethnic groups, um, <clears throat> what you know, and the and the kind of hierarchy of Blackness globally, where you know Black um, <laughs> folks in the U.S. were sort of seen as uh, culturally uh, bereft by other. Uh, by other Black folks in, in, in the continent, in the African continent, in the Caribbean, and in Europe. But I also think that, you know, we should watch these things and discuss the thing on its merits. Um, but mm-hmm. I, a lot, I see a lot of reactionary kind of things happening with, with products that aren't actually bad or damaging, um, but mm-hmm. that get... That get um, anyway, at the same time, I think having more visual Black interlocutors is powerful, but not because of representation, 
but what it can do okay. imagine it, imaginatively, right? And I think mm-hmm. representation is never going to be the way, but I think the imagination is very interesting. So um, uh, I'll name a few things. Raising Dion um, on Netflix, See You Yesterday on Netflix, The Shadow of the Moon on Netflix. And then I started watching C on um, Apple Plus TV, whatever, all these, all these names. Yeah. And the Reimagine Watchmen. I think they're making powerful imaginative shift possibilities for the Black viewer um, because... Mm-hmm. Many times the representation is limited by the white imagination, right? We've got white producers yeah. or white writers, or if, even if it's all black writers and uh, producers and directors and actors, you still have to get through uh, a white structure of the distributors and the, and the executive producers. So we still have to figure out what to do with these presentations once we're given them and not just throw them away, even if they have some problematic elements, which everything does. How do we really use them to um, to expand our imagination or reconnect with an imagination that's that's beyond the kind of um, the structure we've been in for the last you know 500, 500 years. Speaking of that, so you know that actually um, actually two, two questions for you. One is about the Harriet film because I wanted to hear more about that, um, and in particular the 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 backlash or disinformation about that. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm kind of curious. Me, me either. Um, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's, maybe we should it's, talk about now, that next week, next, uh, next okay, time. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay. So, but in terms of, you know, expand, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I think that the space of fantasy is, you know, uh, is, is limited. I mean, representation by its definition is attached to some degree. Um, I don't know, authenticity or, or realism, you know, that, the fantasy kind of mitigates against, right. You know, and, um, but there's this thing that, you know, in terms of sci-fi and in particular Afrofuturism, there's this kind of slogan that everyone's heard, right. Which is that the black experience beginning with the middle passage is science fiction, right. Mm -hmm. Like the whole, you know, and I'm wondering, is there a parallel kind of like slogan for Mm. uh, the black experience of fantasy? Is there a way of kind of encompassing what, fantasy does like for the black experience or why it's why it should be so central that's really hmm that's really a great question you're saying you think that fantasy should be more central than uh science fiction not necessarily but there's a good you know like when you're explaining to people why afrofuturism matters right like i at least found you know like i forget where that where that phrase comes from it might I may be misattributing it now, but I, I want to say Greg had a role in it somewhere, you know, like, yeah. um, but it's certainly there in, you know, like um, the last angel history and in a lot of those like, you know, important kind of Afrofuturist texts, you know, like the black, yeah. the, the black experience is science fictional, right? Because yes. like being kidnapped, it's like an alien kidnapping. I think yes. that's the, the yes. analogy, right? Um, well, I and, think it's like, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think yeah. there are two things. One is I've been thinking about um, Andy Okafor's distinction that she started to make publicly last year, um, mm-hmm. that she's an African futurist, not an Afrofuturist. And she, you know, she has some, it's worth reading her uh, uh, account about that and um, why she think that's, thinks that's important, um, uh, you know, particularly decentering kind of, um, decentering kind of, uh, uh, stories that disconnect from uh, African continental knowledge and experience, which I think is very mm-hmm. interesting. And I think it's, you know, it's expansive and, and, and possible. But I do think that, um, 
I do think that this idea of um, it's, I, do, I think this is, I think it's true that the the black diasporic experience is 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 sci-fi. You know, yeah, we were we were kidnapped and trafficked um, by aliens to alien worlds, and our homeland was destroyed, and our language and our traditions, many of them were destroyed uh, uh, or and misrepresented. Let's say. And um, the relationship to uh, African continental knowledge, um, historical and, and contemporary, was, was cut off. I do think there's also a way that, um, and I've been thinking about this too a little bit with something like settler colonialism, there's too a way that the, the focus on the traumatic event actually has impeded the imagination or impeded fantasy. So I think because a lot of the project of Afrofuturism has to do with centering that trauma sometimes, um, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it contours the imagination. It's like, I'm trying as a person, as an African person born in the Americas, born in the U.S., I'm trying to, it's hard for my imagination to uh, go past um, mm-hmm. the, the, the primal scene. Right, that created me as a black mm. person, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's 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 very difficult, and it it actually turns African um, continental um, uh, history kingdoms, you know, Aksum and Nubia and all the di- various places into fantasy items, into items that are only mythological rather than people mm. and places and and things that were real for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So I do think that this the scene of trauma actually really um, blocks. Uh, it's like I can't get. It's like can't get past it or can't get forward. And I wonder. I do wonder if thinking about African futurism might be more beneficial for Black people, African descended people living around the planet, um, because that's not the only experience, right? Um, uh, inside an African experience, it's the only, the only experience is not. Um, you know, uh, the trauma from being, you know, separated from, from family and friends. Um, although the trauma of colonialism and ongoing colonialism is, is surely, uh, is surely one. So I don't, what, I mean, you know, I, I wonder like if you must have thoughts about this as well. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's really great. I think thinking about um, Africa as a primal scene that gets um, revisited and revisited in fantasy. This kind of anticipates where we're going to go after our, I think we're going to take a break in a second uh, and then come back and talk about some psychoanalysis, but you kind of already got us there. Um, <laughs> and, um, in, 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 and, um, I, you know, I, I do, I do, uh, you know, I tend to agree that the, the, that the, there's, there's a, there really is a need to make a distinction between, the, uh, the experience of the Middle Passage and the kind of ontological rupture of um, blackness and modernity in, in the New World, and even even the traumas of colonialism, right? So I think that mm. there is a real, a real, they're different, they're different enough, right? That the African relation to um, to slavery, to blackness, um, and therefore to the sort of fantasies that kind of come out of you know that primal scene. Um, are are worth not are 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 inflate you know yeah yeah um, and um and maybe that's you know this is just 
thinking aloud here, but maybe, you know, maybe if, if Afrofuturism is a lot about that rupture, um, about the alien abduction that kind of centers in some ways white, you know, the the white project, right. You know, fantasy is a space where African and diaspora can kind of come to some sort of uneasy, (laughs) you know, like commingling, um, or, um, I just think of, you know, um, it's, it's, um, and also, you know, it's, it's, uh, he has, um, just has a lot to do with the past, both the individual and the collective. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so right off the bat, right off the bat there, um, we're dealing, I mean, coming full circle to thinking about a myth and fable, um, so um, maybe we should take a break here, yeah. pause, and then pick this up again on okay. fantasy and primal scene. I love the theme of fantasy because it can be taken so many ways. Um, talking about there is fantasy fiction and media, but there is also the more psychoanalytic notion of fantasy um, is that which undergirds our experience of race, gender, quality. Um, and to get technical for a second, since I know you are your Lacan too, um, Lacan distinguishes between our ordinary fantasies, uh, the ones that surface, for instance, in our dreams and images, and the one fundamental fantasy that he holds to be unconscious and therefore unavailable to ideation. Is this notion of the fundamental <laughs> fantasy helpful for black studies? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to go there, uh, which is great. Um, bringing in Monsieur Jacques Lacan, Dr. Lacan. Um, I do think just for the children, educate the children. Just for the children, I do think he's. Uh, I think that Lacan is very useful. I do think the. Uh, I think let's say that I think the, thinking about the unconscious is completely useful, and I do think Lacan is our best guide in, in terms of thinking about that. The structural position of, of black embodiment, um, even though he never talked about black embodiment, but we can talk about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Ironically, you know what I mean? yeah. ironically. <laughs> Um, uh, and now I think, you know, because we've been seduced, I think, you know, globally, globally blackness and, and African descended people have been seduced into a very damaging structure and forced to place ourselves, as you were saying, you know, as we were talking about vis-a-vis Afrofuturism constantly in relationship to whiteness. Um, and we're rewarded for our approximation, uh, to, um, um, both, uh, looks and behavior, right? Um, and structural mimicry, let's say, or, or uh, imaginative mimicry. And I think that makes it virtually impossible to get down to the business of world-making, um, especially as we're unable to kind of shake off these, these feelings of lack, right, or envy, or some fantasy of a, of a glorious past, which is, of course, true. But so I'm interested in how we might put to work both the, the sort of neurotic fantasy and world-making fantasy. Um, that is to say, Black folks globally are pretty amazing at creating and building like wonders um, that are that are come out of both the sort of sacred and profane. So how do we put our trauma to work in a way that's not just um, revisiting um, or, or being sort of stuck, 
Um, but how do we get into the unconscious, right? And I do think that these um, deployments of fantasy, both sort of ordinary fantasy and exploring our unconscious are, are, are pretty um, powerful ways to um, begin to remake the project of Black studies um, uh, globally for the 21st century as we, as we are about to enter, you know, the second decade of the, of the, or the third decade rather of the, of the 20th mm-hmm. century. So 21st century. So how do we, how do we really begin to get serious about um, fantasy? <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. So for me, what's intriguing is Lacan's insistence that we must, uh, what he calls traverse the fundamental fantasy, mm-hmm. um, that it's there, it's unavailable to us, but we must, tra- uh, and that we cannot do that alone. Um, since we are not transparent to ourselves. And again, you know, uh, even though he's discussing this fundamental fantasy in relation to the clinical situation, and it's a clinical situation, which is, you know, he's not like Fanon, you know, he's not like in the colonial <laughs> clinic thinking about race, you know, this is a very white bourgeois clinical situation. Um, I do see it as having, you know, potential applications in, you know, particular in scenes of, of black study, um, and especially, I guess, in scenes of black study that have been occasioned by works of art, um, works that, you know, provoke or uh, disturb our fundamental fantasy. Um, so, you know, one of, the, one of the examples that I would give, actually, would be uh, Jeremy O'Harris's mm. um, Slave Play, you know, which is, um, you know, again, not in the genre of uh, fantasy but is definitely probing a fundamental fantasy mm-hmm. about interracial desire and blockages uh, of that desire and, um, and, and actually dealing with trauma, right, quite directly through the sort of fictional therapy that um, is at the center of the play. Uh, the play is sort of premised on this idea of sort of working through a kind of um, a fantasy of uh, plantation sexuality um, in the present. And, um, and I think the response is, you know, both like in the theater and, um, on social media, um, the ways in which, um, you know, both he and members of the cast have been sort of, you know, uh, addressed <laughs> directly in terms of kind of being responsible for eliciting, um, uh, this, uh, you know, or bring this fantasy sort of speaks, to um to speaks actually to the power of the work right um and that um and 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 i think this is part of what makes um fantasy uh kind of messy right you know because we want to be able to sometimes we want to distance ourselves from other people's fantasies right you know but mm-hmm. we also in so doing we're also you know uh, distancing ourselves from from our own fantasy um and um what i also found find you know kind of again fascinating about about slave play um is is and and this is something that you're interested in is that it's the whole premise is actually uh one of healing like ostensibly Mm -hmm. this is about a kind of process like that sort of drawing from black feminism and queer theory to sort of imagine a kind of process of of healing whether or not it works right right um so um but but that is that is part of what the um what I take to be the kind of traversing uh, of the fantasy. 
Well, I definitely need to see slave play. I've heard a lot about it. I'm very interested in the the gender politics actually of of it. So perhaps that's something we will be able to discuss in the in the near future. And I do think that's a great example because I sometimes think that in the U.S. context that the um, we there is a sort of intolerance for bad politics or what people might call bad politics or uh, you know. Um, uh, Raquel Gates talks about this in her book, A Double Negative, where mm-hmm. there is still the kind of um, puritanical idea of like good representation rather than, you know, at, at we as like performance studies people, what is this thing doing? And if it's mm-hmm. causing disruption, if it's causing conversation, if it's causing some kind of upheaval, that is actually, that's actually to the good because mm-hmm. there's, there are things that are stuck one doesn't have to like it or approve of it, um, but what are the kinds of things that it's generating? And if it's generative Mm -hmm. in a way that gets, um, I mean, I think sometimes the thing that's difficult about generative works that are, you know, become controversial is that they're in the context of of interracial audiences. And that is very difficult, I think, um, to have kind of black vulnerability with white witnessing. Um, I think this was one of uh, Dave Chappelle's uh, uh, difficulties with mm-hmm. the kind of comedy he was trying to do in the Chappelle show. I, I didn't really know mm-hmm. what's going on now with him, but anyway, um, yeah. that, he, that there was a kind of way that um, uh, uh, there were different um, entry points to the kind of comedy he was trying to do. And I think, you know, I think maybe Jeremy is experiencing a similar thing, but, but I, but I need to see it so we can, we can discuss it. Um, yeah. But I do agree. Yeah, so- Go on, please. I was going to say, Chappelle ended up walking away right from that yes, show, right? That's because right. That's right. Felt, you know, and um, he felt that he could no longer distinguish between. I mean, comedy is such this important site of working through that which is on, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I I do think it's true that you know, comedy. Perhaps that's a we're just generating topics left and right here. Comedy might be another. Um, thing to talk about because it does have these elements of fantasy and uh, narrative storytelling, of course. And I do feel very, I I think this is an important point you actually bring up about uh, Lacan, the clinical scene, um, Mm -hmm. which we don't necessarily think of as communal, but it is, Mm -hmm. is interdependent. And, um, and I do think because, uh, you know, I think people think more of the clinical scene as a privacy, but it is actually an interdependent a codependent, a co, sorry, co, uh, emergent healing site. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm actually very committed. And I think that this is like a black, this is an African diasporic. This is an African, um, value is the, is the, the communal healing. And there was mm-hmm. a story, um, I can't remember, uh, it was either Kenya or Ghana, totally far away from each other, but I can't remember which one. And there were some Western, um, I'm not sure of their race, but there were some Western um, psychiatrists and psychologists sent to work with folks on a, a trauma. And the people kept saying, why are you separating us and taking us into rooms and making us talk about our mothers? Um, yeah. We actually need to, the, the, the trauma was actually collective. And so we actually need mm-hmm. to have collective healing. And what ended up happening is the the doctors or the clinical people ended up watching and learning an incredible amount about uh, 
sort of collective healing processes, which, which had to do with people holding each other, crying, storytelling, drumming, dancing, sharing food. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of work has been um, denigrated. I'm not someone who denigrates, you know, psychotherapy or, or, or talking on the couch. I think that is important. But I also think that in the U.S. or in the West in general, we've kind of promoted that above. We need communal healing. There's a, there's a term that's going around now, uh, community care. That's a, that's a companion to self-care because we do need to learn how to take care of ourselves in ways that are, you know, sleep. <laughs> I just read something that said sleep, not getting enough sleep, your brain begins to eat itself. So mm. <laughs> obviously we need wow. sleep and water and food and nourishment, but also to care for each other. And so I'm really committed to communal work, going back to Black Studies, whether it's art or healing work or scholarship, because the fantasy of the individual or the superhero, I think, has been very detrimental to Black people and to Black Studies um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, has kept Black Studies structurally inside the academy as... Um, I mean, many people have talked about this, you know, Rod Ferguson and others. It's kept it as a kind of, uh, it's been co-opted as a kind of like academic project rather than a liberatory project as it really started out to be. And it's sort of like, well, what students are interested in this? And how can we, pr- you know, having gone through this many times, how, how can we prove student interest and da, 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 rather than black studies, you know, black studies can really happen anywhere, whether that's the classroom or the home or the, 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 the church or the synagogue or the street corner. And I think that a commitment to studying, you know, the histories and the presence and the futures of blackness is really, really important. So my question is sort of what can be done if we gather, um, when we gather, if we just mirror the fantasy structure of whiteness. So I'm curious about these very things like Jeremy's slave play, Jeremy O'Hara's slave play that disrupt those racial primal scenes, right? And what we might find useful inside of spaces that hold trauma, misrecognition, bad intent, other yucky stuff. Like how do we get on the couch collectively and unfurl some of that together um, in ways that lead us to different modes of of relation? Those are really great questions. Yeah, I think um, once I think about a lot too, and and you're right, you know, depending upon what, what kind of, you know, I mean, it's very different for one for one to to have something happen in a space of um, I don't know, like you know, healing that happens in community spaces that can be more intentional about who's present, um, or even to kind of back to where we did in terms of fiction and graphic graphic novel. I mean, there's so much that happens in the world building that you make as a reader, right? Where right. you're not as exposed to a kind of structure the fantasy structure of whiteness in the same way, right? Even though some of those, you know, early novels are written by white authors, right? There's a very different, there's more freedom and availability now, right? Um, And I think that, you know, I see, you know, I just see, you know, the younger generation blossoming with like a range of, um, actually not, um, I would say not just um, fantasy fiction, but also um, I would say poetry, has been, mm. you know, uh, and, and, and criticism that submit to poetry. Um, and it is, I think that this is, does a lot of the work that you're calling, you know, getting us into the inside spaces that hold trauma and misrecognition, right. Um, and reworking it in a different way. Um, 
And uh, that is exciting to see, right? Um, You know, one of the things that's happening in the 21st century is that like the written word is not going anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. It's kind of gratifying actually, you know, like very much so, you know, but we're kind of holding on to it, you know, like people of the world, people of the word uh, still. um, And, um, and that might be, and then that might provide a link between, you know, what, Maybe we call it like black studies out of bounds, right? You know, not necessarily in the academy alone, mm-hmm. but you know, all other all other kinds of spaces. So, um, what was your uh, fantastic black moment of the past month? Hmm. So a few, I think, as we mentioned, watching um, Watchmen. So watching Regina King just give a masterclass on HBO's Watchmen has been um, exhilarating. I, I've I've had many moments where I've gasped out loud <laughs> at the acting. There was a particular moment, I think, in the um, third episode where she and, and Jean Smart, it's great to see Jean Smart on television again, um, are in a scene together. And it was just, I, I felt like I was, you know, watching some some very high theater. It was so uh, well acted. And a lot of it was, um, had nothing to do with the words they were saying, but really with their, their body. So watching Regina King just have, a, a, you know, Brenda from 227, just have these um, incredible moments. She's uh, just an incredible hero um, and a really uh, on the show and just so really plain sister night and a wonderful actress. Um, um, listening, another one is uh, been listening and talking with black scholars um, think through our own, the relationship, our relationship to indigeneity as African descended people. And that's been really inspiring, particularly as we've been pushing back against some of the narrative coming out of indigenous studies that we're um, native indigenous, native uh, U.S. indigenous studies or North American native studies that we're visitors or settlers in North America. And thinking about the complexity of being um, indigenous people stolen and living on other indigenous people's land that was stolen. So this kind of the tension between being stolen people living on, on stolen land. Um, and then I've been really excited about all the black healing stuff I've been involved with from going to the black and African Buddhist teachers, Buddhist teachers gathering um, for a week at Spirit Rock in California. I'm taking a black plant medicine workshop next month and um, to working with a lot of black healers on repositioning the black body at its uh, relationship to historical trauma. And then, you know, we were at uh, the American Studies Association conference uh, at a complicated place in, in Honolulu uh, on Oahu, Hawaii. And um, I, I felt like I experienced an incredible amount of anti-blackness <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. But, like but uh, the anti-black racism was really intense from a lot of, from the, uh, not only just the white uh, settlers and uh, colonizers, but also Asian, Pan-Asian. Um, and I talked to a number of Native Hawaiians about this, um, their own feelings about the... Uh, Asian settlers, but that's a whole other topic. But I went to a party uh, at the Weiwei Collective, which is a native um, Hawaiian collective where you take your shoes off and there's no alcohol. It was amazing. There was a black queer femme book party held for four, instead of an individual authors, there were four black um, women authors, queer authors who um, held a party together. They're friends. They wrote their books together together. and it was amazing. And there was like a hundred plus of us doing the electric slide at one, one point. And that was really the highlight for me. It felt, it felt like a very different space from the rest of the American Studies Association and what was possible when 
Black people really gathered. And there were, you know, there were Latinx folks and there were, there were indigenous people and there were a sprinkling of white people, but it was a black space and it was very purposefully black and, and the music and um, how we spoke to each other and how we gathered. And it felt mostly um, relaxed because of, the, of the, how the four author, authors curated that. Um, Savannah Shange, Tiffany LaFabo King, Ashante Reese, and I'm forgetting the fourth, fourth author, but I will, I will come circle back to um, her. And it was just, it was really powerful to see friendship that uh, also resulted in, um, you know, rather than competition, um, resulted in stronger relationships uh, as their books uh, were being um, uh, sold at the party and, and celebrated. So, yeah. Wow, yeah. Um, that does sound like a highlight. Um, so, um, I had a lot of highlights this week as well, I mean, this month as well, and, and, and um, there were highs and lows the ASA, you've kind of covered them as well, so I'll talk guess, a little <laughs> bit about The Watchman, which I've also been, you know, um, and maybe we'll have to have an ongoing conversation about this. Um, in addition to Regina King, which has just been, you know, um, uh, incredible. And also it's been striking to see how controversial that character is because mm-hmm. she's like a new character and brought into the universe. You know, it's sort of, you know, like it's this sort of perennial backlash around the introduction of black and black femme subjects into sort of supposedly white narrative. It's just it's so ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, but she just really owns it, you know? And uh, I have to say that the first episode was a little bit arresting for me to kind of have this, um, to see the, 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 what the what the show is doing around the police and making the police sort of the defenders, the historical mm-hmm. defenders of like mm-hmm. black communities in, you know, being subject to, you know, race riots is a little bit, um, you know, kind of, you know, deliberately far-fetched and provocative, I guess I would say, right? But sort of <laughs> the gesture, you know, the gesture of narrating history um, through fantasy, I think is really important, you know, because it's really, you know, the show just is, is one of the few things, um, you know, on television that just makes historical violence against black communities uh, unavoidable, you know, mm. and, 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 and does it in a way that, isn't sugarcoat. There's a way in which sort of historical, 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 fan, not necessarily fantasy, but historical uh, fiction or historical narrative that's sort of set in, um, in a kind of more, uh, you know, realist genre can seem more kind of pious or, uh, or serious. And, uh, and this is Watchmen. It seems like it's escapist, right? So it hits you all the harder. I think it's some yeah. ways, right? Yeah. That you can't yeah. escape history even when you're in the fantasy, right? That's um, right. So that was a kind of a, a kind of highlight for me. Um, another highlight, of course, was getting a chance to take part in the Black Artist Retreat in New York, um, where I got to see the incredible Nona Hendricks. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. Oh, my God. Perform a tribute to Grace Jones. Did I wow. say anymore? Wow. Um, wow. And that where was this? Was at the Black Artist Retreat, this is uh, Theaster Gates uh, has an annual oh, Black Artist Retreat. Oh, yes, 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 and yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he did it. It was like Black Audio was the theme this year, and um, the opening night concert was just just a real uh, uh, headbanging event. Um, 
And then, you know, uh, I got a chance to go to the Kalamu Conference, which has, amongst other things, a great poetry performances. This is my poetry in my mind. Yeah. Uh, the poets, Ray, uh, Cleve Stefanen, Gregory Pardlow, and Natasha Trethaway. Um, they just give great poetry performances. Um, I've already mentioned Jeremy O'Hara, so I'm going to give one plus. Uh, <laughs> I saw his, um, in addition to the play that's on Broadway, he has a small uh, show up at the Bushwick Star uh, called Black Exhibition. And he mm. called it a choreo poem. Uh, so he's like liberally channeling into Zake Shange. And yeah. I think that he's really sort of processing, I mean, he is, he's sort of processing in real time sort of what's been happening to him and, um, and, 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 and how, he's, how he's navigating his, his astonishing success and being in the public gaze and, um, and dealing with, um, the, uh, with both, with, with the two plays that he's had produced in New York this year. So it's like, for me, it's like this marvelous, complex meditation on race, sex, and writer's block in which he mm-hmm. channels his literary influences. Um, from Kathy Acker to Shanghai, from Yuku Mishima to Gary Fisher. You actually mm, wow. wrote the show. You wrote the show under the pseudonym Gary XXX Fisher. So no one knew it was him until that debut. Um, wow. And uh, it was, uh, so I got a chance to see that. And it, it's, he's, he's, he's definitely one to watch. Mm, okay. I just wanted to give a plug to the, um, the books that I mentioned from the four black uh, queer women authors. Yeah, please, um, yeah. So it was uh, Black Food Geographies by Ashante Reese, um, Black in Place by Brandy Summers. That was the fourth name I could remember. Um, the Black Shoals by uh, Tiffany Lafabo King. And uh, uh, speaking of Shange, uh, uh, Ensejage Shange's daughter, amazing writer in her own, Savannah Shange's uh, Progressive Dystopia. So, um, uh, oh, I saw that. that is, yeah. yeah, yeah. The party was called I don't Ungovernable. Know if it's a party. Oh my god! It was, it was amazing. <laughs> I don't know how you missed it. Ungovernable. So a black feminist book yeah. party it was. It was quite. It was quite yeah. something. A curation that I think is important. Um, one that uh, uh, Zakia Iman Jackson and I are, are talking about as our books will will be out next year. We're already starting to curate our. I think about curating our party. So um, more on that. <laughs> Um, and this, come, all, Baltimore. this all sounds really great. And I wanted to just invite the audience, um, please let us know what you're thinking about in relationship between uh, Black and fantasy. If you want to find us on Instagram at Fantastic Blackness and post your comments there, that would be uh, really, really great. There's always more to be said. These, these are just jump off conversations, not the, not the end and, and be all. Tavia, do you have any last words? Uh, no, just uh, say that uh, Fantastic Blackness is written by Shante Paradigm Smalls and Tavia Nyango with music and production by Alex Van Gills. See you next time. See you next time.